Okay, well, welcome, uh, Shiraz. Uh, we've been friends, personal friends for many years, and our families have known each other, and we went to the same high school a long time ago, uh, maybe 30, 20 years? 20, 20 plus years. 25 ago, yeah. years ago. So how we got together formally uh, in terms of organizations uh, with the Muslim community and law enforcement and transit police was in the aftermath of the Quebec shootings. And uh, after that, the national security of the RCMP had a round table of Muslim leaders to get us all together to come up with a way for a strategy to connect law enforcement to the mainstream Muslim community to inform the Muslim community that law enforcement is there for all Canadians, but just to get this message because of the fear and uh, uncertainty uh, of the Muslim community, especially when Muslims were getting killed in a masjid, shot in the back, it created a lot of fear in our community. And law enforcement, the RCMP to its credit, had this round table of Muslim leaders in, in Vancouver and Surrey to basically come up with strategies to engage the Muslim community. So one of the strategies was uh, the biggest cross-section of Muslims coming together in one place at any given time was our Friday Jummah prayer, which is our Sabbath, which is our obligatory Friday prayer where majority of Muslims will come for their Friday prayers. And so we all came together initially with RCMP hate crimes to inform the Muslim community after the Jummah prayer that uh, law enforcement's role, how to report hate crimes, um, what are hate crimes, and uh, all and the Q&A afterwards. But then what we realized after the engagement, we learned a lot of uh, uh, hate crimes, specifically against Muslims. Uh, a number of them would occur on transit. So specifically women in hijab that obviously have the headscarf, people know they're Muslims, so sometimes there's a verbal abuse, some, some, some terrible things said to Muslim women, and then at times either spitting or pushing, shoving or, or hitting, which has happened recently. And so the RCMP, to its credit, connected us with Wendy Hawthorne, uh, the, 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 uh, the transit police uh, liaison at that point that connected us with you. And that's in a, in a kind of uh, way we all came together formally to really help the Muslim community come together and, and really engage law enforcement with our community and open dialogue to ensure the messaging of law enforcement that the Muslim community felt safe, that the law enforcement, including transit police, and maybe you can explain, sometimes even myself, I didn't know what RCMP, transit police, and BPD, there was, I thought they were all the same, but I didn't realize until our work together that they're distinct and different organizations. So please introduce yourself, and then also we can talk about how our work has impacted the community. So I'm Constable Shiraz Hanif with uh, Metro Vancouver Transit Police Service. Um, I'm with the community engagement team, so almost like a neighborhood police officer that's uh, tasked with engaging with the community and trying to get us all on the same page. Um, so Transit Police itself, we are our own police department. We were created in 2005. Um, we're a provincial police force with the uh, same powers as any other police officer you see. Uh, we enforce bylaws, provincial statutes like Motor Vehicle Act, Trans, uh, Transit Conduct Safety Regulations and their Act, uh, Criminal Code. Uh, our 
mandate is transit-related issues, transit serving communities, transit services, uh, where our stations are around the area, where the buses go, and most crimes that, or almost all crimes that happen on transit, usually get investigated by transit police. And we work with our jurisdictional police departments, our RCMP or Vancouver Police, depends where we are. We're always working with our jurisdictional police department to get the best outcome for any incident that we're investigating, obviously. And, and Constable Hanif, you were saying that your role uh, in this is community engagement. So can you talk more about that? So what would that entail uh, as a community engagement liaison? So it's a proactive job. Okay. Whereas a portion of policing is reactive. When something happens, people call it in. Police officer arrives and investigates a crime. Um, having a spot like a team like what I participate with, a community engagement team, allows us to be there before the incident happens and try to prevent incidents, which prevents victimization, um, prevents courts co court costs, crimes, and uh, allows us to do community work, which helps, in, for instance, working with newcomers, helping them, enabling newcomers uh, as they try to start a new beginning in Canada. Um, we get to work with people with addictions, homeless issues, and these are issues where on, on patrol, you have a call volume, you go call to call, you don't always get to stop and keep continuity of a specific issue. And that's where a community engagement team comes in. And we also get to meet with people like Darik and work with groups he's working with and see how we can serve those groups better. And one thing in our history, when you came in as a Muslim to the masjid, as an officer, as a police officer, let's talk about the impact of the work we did together uh, after Quebec, after New Zealand, the fear in the community and the questions you faced from our community and how we were able to kind of bridge this kind of the uncertainty and fear in, in the community at that time. So the Muslim community, it's, it's a, a vast community. It's, it's got born, raised Canadians, third generation, fifth generation. And then we have uh, people that immigrate to Canada that are newer from all over the world. So one of the issues we discovered was that um, there were barriers sometimes. People come from different countries where they couldn't trust police or they couldn't speak to police, wouldn't have access to police and they see different things on TV and then they arrive in Canada and they don't know what to expect. So the program we began, uh, one of the wonderful parts of that uh, was uh, letting them know that the police in Canada and more so representing transit police, we're here to serve you. And you report anything that happens to you, small or big, no call too small, we're here to hear you out, listen to you and investigate this and help you in any manner we can. So that message was well received by the community and I believe it helped break barriers and people were like, oh, so the police here are here to help us as well. Yes, in Canada, we're gonna help everybody. Um, whether it's harassment, whether you're being assaulted or whether in, in my role, whether you're having uh, issues in, in life and I can help introduce you to resources, whether it's to do with addiction, to do with uh, mental health, so that program helped us reach the community, the Muslim community, sorry, and get the message across that we are here to serve you as well. Because some of them didn't feel that way. The ones that were born raised here, they know what the police are and they've grown up using the police 
as a service. But it was more so the newcomers that were a little doubtful. And like, so we had a great response with that. And part of building the understanding of the service that the police uh, in general uh, and trans police in particular offer our community is by having representatives of the community in the transit police. So uh, a familiar face, if you will. So maybe if you can just uh, maybe tell us about your experience in the transit police and then what the transit police is doing to recruit from the Muslim community. So my experience, uh, I've always wanted to be a police officer growing up was uh, the general thought process behind it was shave your beard off because you're not going to get hired on if you get hired on. Uh, this would come from uh, friends in the industry from different police departments and whatnot. Shave the beard off and you know, once you get hired on you can grow your beard back and I found that to be a little deceitful because if the beard's here and I'm going to grow it back later, why would I lie to someone and say, hey, I have no beard with the intention of growing it back mm -hmm. and it's part of my faith. And um, I can't part from my faith, even if it's temporarily, I couldn't. So um, I was approached by transit police, one of their now retired staff sergeants, who was saying, hey, why don't you come apply to transit police? Uh, we like the work you're doing in the community and this and that. And I spoke to transit police and this was never an issue with them. Uh, it did come up in an interview. They just said, hey, we noticed you wear a beard. Could you explain your reasoning? I said, it's a religious beard, this is the reason why. And I said, yeah, perfect, we, we respect that. Um, they appreciated the uh, commitment of me having commitment, and they respected that, and it never came up after that. It, I got on as a police officer, went through training at the academy and everything else. The only time this ever came up after that was if they used it as a tool to connect with the Muslim community. If there was an issue, uh, a victim, of, of a crime that were a job or something and uh, as police officers we have a very professional job but there's still a human being in us that's that feels for victims of crimes mm -hmm. and that goes home with you the uniform stays at work the feeling uh the, the somebody was victimized today on on one of our in one of our files that go, goes home with you so, so i remember getting called by a sergeant saying hey this is girl that was assaulted uh she's Seems to be from the Muslim uh, background. She's like, are, are you okay going to talk to the family and her to see if you can help her feel better? And um, so that's that's what they use. They use me to make connections with the Muslim community. community. Um, and that's working out. And like cultural and religious sensitivity that really you would understand because you're from the culture, the religion, and you understand what the norms are to be able to communicate effectively. And, right, and that's, that's what they say. That's why they... It's like speaking right. a language, right? An ambassador, right. Because there is, there is cultural barriers and things that I understand that others might not understand. Right. Now, as you were saying, that your experience with the transit police has been very positive. Um, what are they currently doing to recruit from the Muslim community? And maybe if you can talk about what law enforcement in general, what is their opinion of that? Well, generally, it's the best person for the job. Um, now, when you're serving a, a wide variety of communities within a greater community, having persons of the community on your force helps you relate to them. Mm -hmm. And once again, back to cultural issues or just being on the same page, 
It helps if you have someone of that community. And even if somebody else is investigating, if I'm investigating a file from somebody else's community and this person is very uh, cultural, I can, I, I can still investigate the file, but I can at least really speak with my coworker from that community, say, hey, this is what's going on, and they can give me some insight as to why something might be happening or what I could say to make such a situation better or why is the victim not willing to give me a statement in this case because right. there's some cultural baggage right. that we can clear up through, yeah. So if we don't let the smaller communities within the greater community know, hey, there's no barriers. We're hiring everybody. If you're fit for the job and you have the requirements and you're a good candidate, don't think your faith your appearance, your uh, sexual preference, or any of these things will hold you back. Bring your application, and if you're fit for the job, and you are the best person at the time applying, you will get hired. So, what our goal is to bring the message to every Canadian permanent resident in Canada that transit police is hiring, and uh, actually all police departments are hiring, and we want you. Because some very, very talented individuals in every community, but we don't want them not to apply thinking that we're not hiring. We're hiring the best person for the job. Which, which man or woman, Muslim man or woman, at least for this audience, that we, uh, to have Muslim women in law enforcement and Muslim men in law enforcement and from every ethnic background, because as you said, we come from so many ethnicities and countries. So by having a vast cross-section representing our community, uh, it's going to be helpful long term. And, and on that point, a, a question. So you spoke about the beard. What about uh, a woman's hijab? Can a woman who wears a hijab join the uh, law enforcement agencies? So yes, I, I believe uh, the RCMP have recently hired one or maybe more than one. So yeah, the, the hijab, I mean, there'll be guidelines as to how to secure it safely mm -hmm. so it's not a hazard on a job. But they are working with your religious understandings? To help encourage hundred percent perfect yeah. without compromising safety because at the end of the day if that's used against the officer that poses its own threat yeah so there's some guidelines on how to secure it safely uh, not that you can't have it it's how to do it safely um, there's certain tricks with the beard too to make it safer without oh, would you mind sharing those you know I, I have a beard I want to make sure that I'm safe when I'm going out or the uh, tricks of the trade a little bit of little bit of beard oil which helps keep it settled also makes it less gravel there, there you go there you go right um, there's a brother I'm speaking to I spoke to last week I met him at a functional Muslim brother um, who speaks eight languages wow. served in uh, the Canadian military just coming out of the Canadian military it, it speaks eight languages what kind of what kind of an asset is that? Which police department wouldn't want that, right? So I'm trying hard to get into transit police nice. right now, actually. So, so part of the work at Islam Unraveled is to deal with uh, issues that affect the community, and uh, for a lot of visible uh, Muslims, which tend to be women, uh, a lot of the discrimination and uh, difficulties they face it does happen on transit. So maybe if you talk a little bit about what the transit police do to prevent this uh, proactively, uh, what kind of um, uh, repercussions there are for people who do engage in, in negative behavior, and uh, overall, what is, what is the opinion of the transit police on how to make it uh, safe and enjoyable for, for Muslims, and non-Muslims, of course. 
So that's a loaded question. That's a, <laughs> that's a topic we could talk for about five hours. Um, we have battery life. <laughs> because it is it's exactly what it is. It's a huge topic, uh, important topic. And the work being done in the background that nobody sees on this, like so we can go on for three or four or five hour sessions explaining that. Um, it's, it's taken very seriously. But um, we'll kind of just keep it to answer the question a bit. Um, first off, presence is huge. Right, sure. So we try to increase our presence and transit police is on the transit system, around the transit system. Then we have uniformed staff members, which are uh, bus operators, sky train attendants, and we have transit security. And um, these people see, they observe, and they report mm -hmm. to any, any crimes. We have a campaign like um, Islam Unravel that takes us out to different mosques and we tell them different crimes, when to call 911 when to call non-emergency, and uh, we have a text message reporting system. I think we're the only, or if not only, I know we're definitely the first police department or mainland to use this. And uh, it's this card I've been giving out at all the different mosques. I believe you say you'll post a picture later on for this one? Yeah, we'll be posting right? this. Uh, and the phone number just for now is 877-7777. That's eight followed by five sevens. Um, it's a discreet method of reporting a crime. So if you see someone being harassed, uh, some unwanted behavior in a transit system. You can, like everybody else texting, you can text us and then you get an immediate reply back and they'll ask you what's going on, where are you, what train number, what bus number, what bus station are you at, and they'll ask you a series of questions. You'll feel frustrated as if the police are not coming. Why are they asking you questions? We're already dispatched, we're already on our way. They're just getting more information to give us so we can assess the situation en route. Um, Big campaign is report things to us. If, we, if you don't tell us what's happening, we don't know what's happening. We can't put resources to deal with it if it's not happening. So that's the beginning part, getting the word out. Please report crimes. Don't think it's too small. Don't think you don't matter. Don't think you don't have rights. Don't think it, it doesn't matter. It matters. And we want to know what's happening. Even small things. Like oh, if you think it's things. like a, a comment or a, a shove that yeah. you might overlook but everything should be reported so that there's statistics to back things up. So st statistics are huge because first off it helps identify problems and then, then we can get resources to deal with the problems. But uh, if worst case scenario you call the police and tell them this is what happened and they explain to you, okay, that's not a police matter or this is where you can take that. Mm -hmm. There's different sections, there's different resources available and they might point you in the direction of resources. That's the worst case scenario. But best case scenario, let's say, okay, thank you very much. Can one of our officers speak to you and get details to this file and it gets investigated? Now there's a criminal code. Every police department uses, utilizes a criminal code to prevent crime, create safety. There's provincial statutes. Uh, we have a transit conduct safety regulations. We have uh, there's a few, there's an act. There's a few different things we can use provincially to prevent such behavior. Then there's transit rules, which uh, means if you're not abiding by transit rules, which prevents harassment, doesn't allow harassment, uh, just, and, and these are the rules that are posted, posted in like, every yeah. station, okay. right? So that right there creates a safe, harassment-free transit traveling environment on our transit system. So if someone's breaking those rules, we might not be able to put that person in jail or charge them or prosecute them, but we can remove them from the system for at least 24 hours for not abiding by the system, uh, by the rules. Um, and 
it's not just about harassment, but harassment is covered in there. So I can't go through all the rules, but I do recommend read the rules next time you're waiting for a SkyTrain. Mm -hmm. It's posted on the yellow safety uh, section of the station there. And uh, make use of that. Text it to us. And just because it's not a criminal offense, it doesn't mean we can't resolve the problem. Um, removing someone off the system, letting them know this behavior is not welcome and won't be tolerated on our transit system, gets that message across. And they might prevent them from doing this again to somebody else. Unfortunately, we also deal with mental health issues. Right. Addiction issues. Now, if someone suffering from mental health and they see something somewhere, somebody say something, they see a media article about something and then it gets them going, and that takes a little bit more to deal with. And some of the hate crime issues we've seen in the recent past had a severe mental health component. Mm -hmm. And dealing with that criminally, it wouldn't solve the problem because once you prosecute them and they're free from that issue, they will still have the mental health component, which would cause reoffending of any nature. So sometimes we have to go through the mental health community, um, the psych wards, the mental health, uh, healthcare, and believe it or not, the results we get through that, the same person comes back and apologizes, sincerely crying, sincerely, couldn't believe that that was them doing that, because mental health is not controllable, it makes you do things you can't control, very frustrating for the public to see it, but that's the unfortunate nature of mental health. So. A lot of times we have a mental health coordinator actually that works with mental health resources. It's her sole job and responsibility is dealing with mental health issues on the transit system, in and around transit system that affects our users, our staff members, and people in and around the transit area. We deal with addiction, a big part of what we do. And it's not just don't do this again because there's an addiction component. So we take them to the appropriate resources. and. Addiction is a real tough one like mental health, but we do see a lot of positive outcome of, of our cases that we deal with. through, Because like I said, policing behind the scenes is a lot more than what you see. When we show up to a 911 call, neutralize the situation, and everybody goes home, we're still working on it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And like I said, it's not just police officer taking you to court, putting somebody in jail. There's like there's mental health components. Uh, we have an indigenous liaison officer that works with people that um, are dealing with uh, secondary trauma from residential school and whatnot. So there's a lot of background information even in these crimes that people aren't aware of. And it's not right for anyone to be victimized, but once someone's victimized, it's a multifaceted approach to prevent this from happening again. So multi-layered, and how do you help the addiction component? Like, what would be the resources, just like you have uh, a liaison for, for indigenous relations, a liaison for mental health, what would be, was there some specific process to help with addiction? So, once again, every situation we deal with is multifaceted. One of, the, one of the biggest ones is letting the addicted person know we're here for you as well. We're not judging you, we understand you have an addiction issue. And you try to work with them, first off, to manage the addiction issue. If they're not ready to seek treatment, there's nothing you or I could do to solve, resolve that addiction. There's no magic shot you can give someone and the addiction's gone. You'd be surprised at the number of people that are, it's a very tough life to live. Uh, the addiction life is very tough. Life is tough as it is and having a chain in a ball 
which is addiction attached to you trying to live the same life, it's, a, it's, it's very tough. So a lot of these people dealing with addiction are ready and they're seeking resources. So as a police officer, especially community engagement team or one of our specialty teams, there's only one of us or two of us, we can't take 100 people and cure addiction, but we can introduce them to the appropriate resources, community-based resources, and stuff like uh, the Muslim Care Center, Tariq, what you guys are doing here is great because huge resources. And if somebody is of the Muslim faith feeling outcasted and dealing with addiction problems or mental health issues, I can bring them to them and say, hey, this is so-and-so, this is what's going on here. And once again, we get professionals that are trained in it, and that's where it begins. Um, we deal with addiction issues, we deal with, uh, which is alcoholism, which could be uh, sometimes even gambling addiction causes issues drug addiction and first off is to make sure they're okay second of all let them know we're here for you when you're ready here's my phone number call me I'll walk with you take you in get you treatment and uh, when, when someone's life turns around like that there's no better feeling when you see an outcome like that right but when they're not ready for it they're not ready for it then we try to manage their addiction problems explaining to them that I know you have an addiction problem you have to use syringes I get it but please because you're still part of this community Create a community, the city of Vancouver, Surrey, wherever you're living. When you're done using your your your, your uh, needles, please dispose of them appropriately. Because kids walk around and they can't find it. Um, when you're doing this, if you're doing this over here, you're gonna cause a lot of problems. So just working with them, helping them understand what other people are seeing and how they can minimize their uh, negative effect on the greater community mm -hmm. and manage their addiction. So that's 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 the starting point. And from there on, we try to get treatment and so on and so on. Now, from the uh, opposite side, for uh, people who might be feeling um, unsafe in a certain situation, uh, whatever it could be, it could be harassment, it could be aggression, it could be, um, you know, a uh, sexual in nature. It, it could be, it could be sexual in nature. It could be anything um, that makes a person feel uncomfortable. What strategies would you give them to uh, or suggest? to uh, stay safe, disengage, and then contact the appropriate uh, authorities. Right. So, um, contact the police as soon as safely possible. And I don't mean going home, discussing with their family, and then calling us. It's, it's tough to investigate. We lose a lot of evidence mm -hmm. by that point. Call us when it's happening. Um, and like I said, you call 911 if someone's life's at, at stake. If there's property being damaged or someone's about to get hurt, call 911. If it's not safe to do so, you can text Transit Police at 877-7777 and it's immediate. We'll, we'll, we'll show up. Uh, when you call 911, the closest police officer comes. So if you're um, at Joyce Skytrain Station, the Vancouver Police are coming, Transit Police are coming. We'll show up. Uh, if you're at Joyce Station, Vancouver Police is coming, Transit Police is coming. If you're at Metro Town Station, Burnaby RCP are coming as well as Transit Police. If you call 911 and it's a legitimate call where someone's life is at mm -hmm. being in, or safety is in danger, that's what's going to take place. Um, if it's something that's not quite that emergency like, you can call the Transit Police at 515-8300, 615-8300. And this would be obnoxious behavior. Um, Harassment, non-physical, non-threatening harassment. Something that's not, like you said, making you feel unsafe or unwelcome behavior. And we'll still come. It's just uh, it's a different line to keep the 911 free, line free. 
And what about um, personal safety strategies? So I will say that um, the vast majority of all transit experiences I've had have been wonderful. Uh, no challenges, uh, you know, I'm a big guy, but also anecdotally, a lot of my female friends, uh, they, they've had no challenges, but sometimes things happen. Uh, if you were a, a person and you felt that you're, you're under threat or you're being harassed, um, in addition to calling the police as soon as possible, what would be personal safety strategies that you right. can suggest? Yeah, so like I said, first thing is calling us because it takes us time to get there. Mm -hmm. Second thing is if you're on the SkyTrain, um, you'll see SkyTrain attendants or anybody in uniform, approach them. That means getting off the train because you see one over there, approach them, get off the train. Um, let the other person continue on the train, get the train number, and we'll catch up with them. Uh, engage somebody else into a conversation. That quite often we notice people that are harassing you or, or being obnoxious, it, it gets, a, gets their attention elsewhere, and now they know somebody else is involved and they usually back off. Um, if you're on a bus, mm -hmm. we recommend you walk up to the front, closest to the drivers you can get, notify the driver, and if it's really minor to nature, you don't have to notify the driver, still walk up to the front, sit next to the driver as close as you can. We've noticed people in uniform deter that kind of behavior. If it continues, alert the bus driver. The bus driver might notice it himself. Uh, they're not supposed to intervene because they get assaulted. Mm -hmm. They have nothing to protect themselves. If they get assaulted, we have so many people on the back of the bus, it puts everybody at danger. But they have buttons they press and it has us coming. So just because they're not intervening doesn't mean they haven't done nothing. But do advise them if it's, if it's not, if the behavior is continuing, advise them. Uh, if you move away, closer to the bus driver, behavior stop, you can still text us and tell us. You can still call us and tell us what's happening. We can still come and deal with the situation, why, why it didn't take place and investigate it. Or at least try to resolve it. But like I said, get to somebody in uniform, that usually changes the behavior or stops it. Okay. And, and, and there are two... Uh, key issues that happened in our community. One that had national attention of uh, a woman who was wearing a job that was assaulted on the SkyTrain and it was a bit sexual in nature as well and then very abusive and definitely Islamophobic. And then the other assault where a young Muslim who was a volunteer at the Muslim Care Center was repeatedly punched in the head and told to go back to their country. I got to say with a lot of respect that what not only the transit police did but what you did specifically to meet them to meet their families, to give them comfort. The calls that I got and appreciation from them, they were wholly grateful for that level of attention, that personal care, which helped, I would say, their family and themselves through that traumatic time. Yeah, and in those cases, both cases, the immediate reporting of the crime is what helped solve the crime. In the first case, the person was arrested as they got off the SkyTrain because we were called, 911 was called and we were advised right away. Uh, one thing about transit police, we're multi-jurisdictional. So if this crime happens in Vancouver, we're Vancouver, Burnaby, Surrey, Lower Mainland, wide, Metro Vancouver wide. And this crime took place in one city and the person was arrested in another city, but right after the offense. Um, and as far as liaising with the family, like I said, a big part of, we take a bit of the victim the sorrow we feel or, or the negative aura around a victim. We see a victim, it's, 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 not, it's, traumatic. It's, it's traumatic, but you see that and you can't 
take that off with your uniform, leave it at work, it goes home with you. So I, I was glad to be able to meet those families and build a relationship and we're still in touch weekly. We still talk to each other, great people. And they're very grateful, like really to the point where they're like, it's like family, like really that level of care that they so much appreciate that personal attention because again, it was a lot of trauma. This family, because of that, it was a young girl, uh, a Syrian refugee, uh, again, an honor student, full scholarship and volunteering every day on the downtown east side, just a model person, just uh, almost like a daughter, like I just, I really, when, when, when the whole team kind of rallied around her, especially with what you guys did, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, when I spoke with her, I think first 20 minutes of speaking to her, I realized, and she said at the same time, that there's probably a reason why why she was chosen to be the victim, because she's one strong person. She's strong. She's strong. <laughs> she was, she's strong. I, I, I had to keep asking her age to, to verify. I was like, are you seriously that young? Amazing how wise and, and, and strong she And she didn't want is. to be perceived or portrayed as a victim. So yeah. that, that was her thing. I don't want to be... But I think there was a lot of... With the family. I think the family was, was very traumatized as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I know you helped sit with everybody and just give them a level of, of calmness and, and, and just to, to be there for them. Yeah, that was important. And now, once again, in, in, in those cases, strong component of mental health. Of the perpetrator. Yeah, in, in both the, both those cases that we discussed there, yeah, a strong component of mental health to the point where the first person didn't recognize themselves of what they did. They couldn't believe it. I was so distraught. Wow. And it's... Now you got two victims almost. Wow. You know, this person was victimized by their own actions. They just couldn't believe once the medications were sorted out and the back to stabilized uh, mental state. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a tough gig. It is know? a tough gig. And I, I'm sure that one, one thing that uh, must have changed uh, the situation, and, and maybe you can speak about it, is currently uh, we're going through a global pandemic with the COVID-19 uh, virus and how has that impacted your work? So, while well, well, speak on hate crimes, it's it's interesting. I'm not. Sure, I mean, there's got to be some kind of a correlation with what the media reports and what people respond to uh, as far as hate crimes because we noticed a change. First, it was the the politics down south, and that's mm -hmm. when we saw a huge increase in hate crimes against Muslims. Um, and that was a general statistic thing I, uh, we heard. Uh, but after this COVID virus came out all over the media, it shifted. The hate crimes were now targeting uh, Asians. That's what we were, we were noticing in, in the policing industry. So that was one shift that we noticed. But um, it's uh, added a lot of stresses to many different levels and aspects of life and people. So we're dealing with that. There's, there's uh, more mental health now, we're dealing with depression, um, dealing with people not wearing, wanting to wear masks and other people wanting them to wear masks. It's, it's just a whole new ball game. Us working out there knowing that uh, it's such a dangerous virus, but we're essential services. We gotta be out there. We can't say, hey, we'll work from home today. We, that's, not, that's not an option for us. Um, and then initially there's that thought process. Do I take this back home to my family now? Because but somebody called 911 or a call for service, you go. You don't, you don't have time to sit there and think, 
how can I avoid this? Oh, you're going. That's what we signed up for. So you show up there now, there's a bunch of unmasked people, and there's havoc, and you try to make the situation, neutralize the situation, calm everybody down, solve the situation. Now you're going back in the car and driving home, you're like, what was I exposed to? What wasn't I exposed to? Mm-hmm. And now at the end of your shift, you're wondering, should I go live somewhere else for a couple of months now? Or it's, it was a real tough, mentally, mentally it was really tough on, I think, most first responders. Can you imagine being a paramedic responding to what people are calling in as, uh, I think I have a COVID virus, yeah. and where everyone's running away from the COVID virus, you're running to it. It's, it, yeah, a very different year from last year. <laughs> and it's very interesting what you were saying, uh, which uh, I don't think we'll get into it right now too much, but media attention and how that creates targets. So people with mental illnesses um, might, uh, you know, now because they see something on TV, they see something online, uh, and then they act out uh, in person. So that was a very interesting uh, comment. Uh, yeah, and, and, we, and we noticed that with people suffering from mental health issues or seniors that can't fact verify, or can't grasp the greater concept. For instance, uh, like I was saying about, about assaults, how many assaults take place in a day? Lower mainland wide, I'd say hundreds of assaults take place. I don't know the exact numbers. But the ones that stand out are the ones that are hate crimes or... Uh, assaults not on transit, but in general. Oh yeah, in general, sorry, there's... Oh, it's, it's 100 a day on transit. <laughs> yeah, in general, I'm lower mainland, why? But if there's a, some, an aggravating factor, for instance, a hate crime, or a senior citizen got assaulted, that one stands out. Everybody can talk to, or talks about it, it gets media coverage. Mm-hmm. So those ones seem like, right, whereas... Um, General assault, it doesn't, General assault doesn't, doesn't, get, doesn't get the headlines. Right. Uh, so we and we investigate every assault as a police officer in any, any jurisdiction. Every assault is investigated. The hate crime factor to the assault, it's it's a aggravating factor. If I, I, I'm not sure there's a proper term to use, but it's used for sentencing. Hate crime itself is not a crime. You can't just charge something for a hate crime because mm-hmm. what is a hate crime? So a hate crime is... Any criminal act that's taken against a person or property, which is influenced by somebody's, uh, like I said, there's a big definition for sexual preference, uh, religious beliefs, uh, cultural, where they're from, ethnicity, that is a hate, that makes that assault into a hate crime or that vandalism into a hate crime. And the only time the hate crime portion is utilized is at sentencing because that speaks to the lack of provocation on your part. You sitting, you walking down the street, minding your own business, and somebody assaults you and then calls you a racial name, which shows the only reason they assaulted you or targeted you is because of your ethnic background. You could have done nothing to prevent that. So the judges look at that and say, okay, that was very uh, non-provoked, very random stranger assault, and it speaks. that's something to keep in mind when they figure out the sentence for the crime. So that's what a hate crime is. It's it's a tack on to any criminal charge that's motivated by hate based on gender. It's taken very seriously. Yeah, it, it increases the seriousness because there's nothing you can do to protect yourself from it. So the legal system steps in to try to prevent and protect people from it. And, and the scope of transit police is all across the lower mainland. Every SkyTrain, every bus, every bus station, so, and this is seven days a week. So it seems, you know, it's a comprehensive area that, that your team covers. And, 
And just in terms of the transit police itself, how, how many personnel does transit police have right across the board just for security purposes? So as far as uh, sworn police officers go, uh, I believe we're about 180 officers. And then we have a large component of civilian staff that back us in filing and uh, court liaison and whatnot. Um, and on a side note, for applicants, uh, everybody always thinks policing is in uniform and that's, mm -hmm. there are a lot of civilian positions, civilian roles, and uh, the requirements for those are, they, they vary, it depends on what you're applying for. So don't just think there's policing as a police officer. If you want to join transit police, we have lots of civilian positions and you can go on our website and find those civilian positions when they come up. And, and what is your website uh, name? So I would just Google Metro Vancouver Transit Police and Perfect. it's the first one that pops up there. Okay. And I believe it'll be transitpolice.ca. Okay, and maybe under uh, positions or recruitments or careers? Yeah, it'll be, yeah, it'll be on, yeah, and all the requirements will be on there. Uh, how do, the process will be on there, different process for different jobs. But we have uh, many civilian staff from clerical, um, right, to court liaison that support what we do. We wouldn't be able to do what we do without them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then one more thing on the safety thing we're talking about, uh, so you, you can approach the operator on a bus, Skytrain attendants or anybody in uniform or engage somebody else into a conversation. If you're on a platform, Skytrain platform, you feel unsafe for any reason, we recommend you, if you can't leave safely, you get to that area that's got the yellow billboard in the middle with all the information. There'll be a safety phone in there and there's always cameras on there. So once you report that, our uh, operations Skytrain operations can pull up the cameras and now we have a live feed of what's happening. They have you on camera or our dispatch will call them and say, can you get cameras up here? This is what we're getting. But they'll know where to find you because you're at that yellow box. Uh, there'll be a couple of benches. And, and you mentioned cameras. How many cameras would there be on platforms, on trains, on buses? And are there any cameras in bus stops? Uh, bus stops, I don't believe any bus stops generally themselves have cameras. Okay. But there's always local businesses that will have cameras in the area. Uh, Skytrain platforms are covered almost from every angle. Um, Skytrains, most of our Skytrains have cameras in them. Uh, every angle, depends how new they are, how old they are. And most of our buses have cameras. Audio recording, I believe. Or and audio recording. Possibly, but I know there's video cameras on most of our buses. And multiple cameras on each bus. So, yeah, transit is not the place to do a crime. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. But it does happen, and there is happen. recourse, legal recourse with with video uh, records of what happened because it's filmed. It gives us best evidence. And the most important thing is to report it. Something, yeah. you know, it, I think the slogan is, if you see something, say something. See something, say something. Yeah. Right, right, right on the card that uh, <laughs> Yusuf will post later on yeah. with and, the phone and, number. And that gives comfort to people that you are being recorded, so whatever happens there is a record to refer to in case it, it, it escalates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. And uh, if something happens, uh, evidence is the only way we get charges and best evidence is there. Yeah. So basically, the key thing you said earlier, if something happens, report it. Because I think a lot of times, a lot of things become unreported because people don't want to either go through the hassle or what they think is a hassle, and they don't want to bother the police or well, whatever. They don't think it's a big deal. Or, or maybe self-esteem-wise, they feel like, I don't want to bother, you know, they, they don't want to speak up. So just to address that fact, like, 
no no incident reporting is too small. How how would you just even classify what what people should report and and, and why they should report it? Um, I say anything that bothers you, report it. It takes you a matter of minutes to report something. Worst case scenario, you'll be advised. Thank you very much. We'll make make a note of this. Thank you for your time. And if it's something bigger, let us decide. Because if you don't report it, it might happen to somebody else down the road or next time that might not be as strong as you. So you gotta do your part and your role and, and report anything that makes you feel unsafe. The transit system, we wanna create a safe, harassment-free, comfortable tr traveling experience for client, all our clientele, which includes seniors, adults, youths, and families with, with little ones. So if you see something that's creating an environment which a child wouldn't be safe in or does not belong in or senior, please report it. Mm -hmm. Even if it doesn't have to do with you, you're watching somebody else getting harassed or obnoxious people drinking in a sky train, making noise, and, and you can see people getting uncomfortable, report it. That's why we're there. And we'll come in. And as far as the community goes, um, if you don't report things, like I said before, if you don't report it, it never happened. If it never happened, it's tough for us to go get funding or go to the government and say, hey, we're having an issue with this. We need more resources to deal with this. And in the end, when the resource our resources are not called upon or, and crime is not reported, well, it might just grow to a point where you've created an issue for our own community by not reporting things when they were manageable. Mm -hmm. So I do recommend reporting. And I ask, report everything. And if it's not a police matter, we'll kindly tell you that and explain you where you can take it. And if you wish to carry on with it, you can. If not, you don't have to. If it is a police matter, now we know and now we can deal with it. Otherwise, it's going to go unnoticed and, and untreated. So, Understood. Understood. Makes sense. So I think uh, we covered a lot of ground like addiction, uh, racism, assault. And, and uh, I think what you guys do is amazing in the personal touch, again, from the community to really, we're not just a, a file number. It's, it, there is a level of support on many aspects. And I, I think what I learned from, from our discussion now, you try and help not just the current symptom, but the cause which is driving it and directing uh, people to resources that can help them. And, uh, and I, I witnessed it just with our community and the cases we've worked on together that uh, that, that has had an impact and that has created a level of trust between law enforcement and, and members of our community because mm -hmm. of this close interaction and, and working together. Right, yeah. And for the community, I'm available. You can get a hold of me through my Twitter account, I guess, on transit. Uh, and we can post that. We can post uh, contact info after sure. uh, on the graphics afterwards. Right. And through uh, Islam Unravel, there's, there's many ways you can find out. And, and I get questions about recruiting, um, about family issues, you name it. And you know what? That's what I signed up for. I'm here for everyone, especially our community. So don't think twice. Don't hesitate to call me if you need me. Well, Constable Hanif, I would shake your hand. But again, this is COVID times. <laughs> right. uh, we really thank you for your time and the work that you have done to keep us safe. And uh, we really appreciate it. Right, you're welcome. Thank, thank you. you for the time. Thank, thank you, you very much.